This episode was originally recorded in early 2023. You are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Pharmacy ITME podcast. My name is Tony again, your host, and joining me today is a senior consultant in pharmacy informatics and healthcare informatics is Pamela Mackey. Welcome to the show, Pamela. How are you doing? I'm good, Tony. Nice to talk to you today. Yes, yes. And for the listeners, a little bit of history is that I actually worked with Pamela before she she did some consultant work for the place that I am I am working at right now. And she was one of the consultants in the past. And also, I have seen Pamela's name a lot, like throughout my career, just seeing Pamela's answers to questions of like other people's requests. And I have to say that I'm very excited to talk to you today, Pamela, because uh, I am a fan of, you know, having seen what you've been able to contribute and 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 answer and everything like that with with some other Cerner customers so so thank you for being on the podcast thank you for saying all those nice things i i hope i i live up to the billing that you're giving me <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess before we get started on talking specifically about the informatics and you know the it side of things i wanted to ask you about you know what kind of got you started into just going to pharmacy as a career path well, started in college, I thought I really wanted to go into medicine and be a doctor. And one of my dad's friends recommended that I go the pharmacy route. She said, that way, if you figure that you don't want to go into med school uh, or you don't make it in, because it's, you know, it's always been pretty competitive. She said, you'll at least have a job that's in the medical field. And after I got into it, I really decided that I didn't want to be a doctor, but I really did like pharmacy. And I was glad that she'd made that recommendation. I was glad I took it. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, after you you did your pharmacy education, like how how long did you work as a pharmacist? I worked as a pharmacist for 16 years. I will tell you though, I wasn't a very happy pharmacist. I moved a whole lot. I think I moved every year for about the first 10 years I was in pharmacy. And I finally decided that what I really enjoyed doing was computers. And so I went back to school and got a degree in computer science. I won't recommend that route if you're trying to get into pharmacy informatics, but it was what was available to me at the time. So that's what I did. I see. I see. So, you know, when you did your computer science degree at that time, was there like a lot of opportunity for pharmacists going into IT? I think this was like the mid 90s or so. Yeah, I got started in that in like 1990 and I went part time. So it took me six years to get through the second degree. And there were lots of jobs out there for people doing programming because there were lots of different computer programs out there. There are fewer now. I mean, you've got the the big ones, Meditech, Cerner, Epic, et cetera. But there were a lot of smaller companies at that time that there were opportunities for. And when I got out of school, I went to work on a DOS-based pharmacy program named MegaRx. To my knowledge, that's not being offered any longer, and that's among the reasons I left that company. But yes, to answer your question and not continue on, there were lots of opportunities for programmers, not necessarily pharmacy programmers, but for programmers in the field for pharmacy programs. I see, I see. So when you decided to go back to school for computers, and I know you said you liked computers, but did you like see how it intersected with pharmacy that it was like like a good opportunity for you? 
I thought it was a good opportunity for me because the salaries were commensurate, at least the ones that I looked at, were commensurate with my salary as a pharmacist. So, you know, to me it was, you know, I was not taking a step down to be, to go to working with computers. So, you know, when you went through school for like IT, right, and then you came out expecting to work within still the healthcare side. Was it like what you expected? Like, were, were you expecting something and it was like completely something different or was it kind of in line? It was in line with what I expected. The first six or seven years I got out of school, I worked on that DOS-based program. It was a pharmacy program and I was working, it was a program from Owen Healthcare, which at that time was a separate company, but was eventually bought out by Cardinal. Owen Healthcare itself is a pharmacy management company. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but basically, if you need a director of pharmacy and you can't get one, they can give you someone who can manage your pharmacy. And the actually, their their pharmacy program got started long before I went to work for them as just something, a giveaway. It was something they did because somebody said, we don't have a pharmacy program, we need something. And they gave that, they got started on that as a, a way to get more business. Of course, it got into something bigger pretty quickly, but that was the original, my understanding is that was the original intention of the program. I see, I see. So then like, you know, after having left Cardinal, I think that was when you started your experience yeah. with Cerner? Yeah. One of my coworkers had gone to work for Memorial Hermann in Houston. Memorial Hermann at that time was like a, a 13 hospital multi-system, hospital system. And they had Cerner. They had gone on Cerner in 2001, and I came to work for them in 2004. Oh, okay. Okay. So I guess when you started working there, and you know, Cerner is just a massive enterprise system. So like, did you have any kind of proper training in the beginning? Or was it more of like, now you're in the weeds, you got to like learn as you go? Like, how, how did that work for you? I was in a learn as you go situation. I did eventually get training in, what did I get training for? FarmNet, um, Discern, discern program. I won't say discern visual developer, but it was the, the, the classes that you, you take at Cerner. And I also got some basic classes on just general build using the other Cerner tools. But when I started out, I didn't get that training until about uh, probably a year and a half, two years down the road. It was just, you know, I kind of got thrown in and, you know, you, you started doing stuff. And it was actually where I got into working with CCL. We had a problem. And actually, on the in the product tool, our identifiers would go missing. I mean, it, it was just random. They would you'd go in, and all of a sudden, you couldn't access an RX mnemonic, or you couldn't. The short description would go away, or the long description would go away. And so, somebody showed me Discern Visual Developer, and so you know, I looked at this, and I my old pharmacy program Omega RX had been a DOS based program, so I was like a a command line person there. So when somebody showed me a front-end tool like Discern Visual Developer, I was in hog heaven. I said, all right, I think I can do this. And, you know, it starts out similar. You know, you have select fields from tables and you go from there. And I just started just trying to teach myself doing that. I did finally find the problem. Cerner helped us out. Problem was, had to do with the fact that we were doing an upgrade. And anytime that the person wasn't me, someone else on our team would access the tool to do some work, one or more of the identifiers on that tab would go away while he was doing that. So uh, part of the, the takeaway from that was that we no longer allowed the person that was entering products to do any work during the upgrades. Oh, gosh, I did not know that. <laughs> I think they've gotten over that. 
since most people go ahead and do product stuff at that time. But, you know, for a couple of years after that, we were really careful about doing work in the product tool. Somebody did work, you know, you everyday work has to go on. Now you have to stack NDCs and do all sorts of stuff in the product tool that we weren't doing barcoding at that time. So you have to get in there. But what we would do is they do their work, save it, close it, reopen it, and just make sure that nothing left. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the many reasons why we had that upgrade where they lock someone out now. Like if someone's in the tool, they lock someone else from like going in. And I was actually surprised that it took that long for them to have that upgrade to have that function, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. supposed to be actually the, my old system, the Omega RS system, why people got into that was that it was a, a multi-facility system. You could use it in a number of different places and you could also have people, several different people in it. It didn't have that, what they called runtime collision problem of having two people on the record at the same time. And if somebody saved before the other person, you know, then you'd have problems. Well, the old part, Maker X didn't have that problem. And servers shouldn't be having that problem. They should have locking on that, that, that database for those tables. Runtime shouldn't be, I mean, you know, the runtime collision problem shouldn't be a, a problem with Cerner. But I am glad to hear that they now have fixed it where you, you can not have more than one person at a time. You get a message that says, hi, somebody's in here. Let's, let's wait a while. Yeah, yeah. There's been many times where that's kind of saved me because I'd be like, okay, I got to put this change in, but then someone else is on the on the product. So, but yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that that update has actually finally addressed that. And then, like you know, when you're working there, how how many years were you there again? Let's see. I was there from 2004 through seems like 2007. There for three years. I actually left because I got a cold call one day and it was from a consulting company. It was actually not somebody from Perot Systems, but somebody who was a headhunter for Perot. And they basically said, you know, you can increase your salary one and a half times if you come to work for us. And I looked at it and I looked at what I was making. And I will tell you that generally people with hospitals, I don't know if it's still true or not, weren't making a whole lot of money. I actually took a a small step down to go work for a hospital with from being a pharmacist to being a computer person. That didn't last very long, but it, it wasn't, the salary wasn't as good as it could be. So I took that step to being a consultant. And I will tell you that um, most hospitals that I've, where I've asked about the salary still don't pay what consulting does. And so I've been doing consulting for what, 15 years now or more. And so I've had 15 years at one and a half times the pay. So I've had basically Seven years of what my salary would have been more than just the, the regular annual salary. So I, it's a change I was glad to make. Plus, I get to see lots of different things doing what I do. It makes me a better person. Yeah, you know, like going into a consultant role, like that's always something that's been on the back of my mind, but I've never really felt like I am confident enough to jump into consulting. You know, like when I hear consulting, it's like the person is an expert and has so much experience that that's why or how they can be a consultant. And, you know, it it's always like that, that first step jumping into consulting is always like a scary step. And I don't know, like, like, how did you feel about it? Like, was there any kind of like trepidation? Or was it more of like, you know, you just jumped in because you just wanted to see how it goes? Like, was there any kind of like, what was your thought process about like going into consulting? You know, it sounded like fun. At the time, I wasn't married. And I don't have children, so I didn't have anything really tying me down. And there was that opportunity to travel. 
And at that time in consulting, you know, I traveled every week. I was working for a, you know, started out with a series of hospitals in California and Arizona and getting them to up on search for, for go live. And things went from there. And I really enjoyed that part of it. There's less traveling now. I think people have finally realized that you do the same things at home that you do on site. And, you know, you're a trusted person. I mean, I get up in the morning and I go to work. Uh, I'm not going to sit here at home and not do what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, I, you can call me. I am me. You can email me. And I answer all of those when I'm working for somebody. I see. I see. So so then in your experience, right, like you've been in consultant for like a long time now. And like what what kind of this is more like a specific question. And I understand if you can't answer it, like if you're not allowed to. But like, what are some of the most like creative things that that you've seen in the system or one of the most creative things that you personally are proud of that you've worked on and implemented? There's probably not any one thing. There's lots of fun things that I've done. It's fun for me. I like doing CCL. I like doing reports. And there's always creative ways of getting stuff out of the database that helps people do their jobs better. So, you know, for me, it's the CCL part. And I I like that. It's not the only thing I do. I certainly have done plenty of just plain old implementation. I've done, I've implemented advanced suspense routing the last few years. I've implemented JW. I've been in with Power Chart Oncology. You know, so there's, to me, there's always different stuff going on. And I'm, you know, I have fun with all of it. So the different kind of problems that, you know, you've worked on as a consultant, like, like for just backing up a little bit, like for me, right, when I went through school for pharmacy school, I had no idea, like, these were the kind of issues I would see when I get into the real world. So I I guess my question to you is that how much of the things that you're encountering were things you were trained for or, you know, educated for through pharmacy school or through your, your, your IT degree? And I guess how much of that was just, you know, new things that you're problem solving that you've never seen before? I I think probably what you're asking is what you need to get into this. I will say that, you know, you need a, uh, you don't need a pharmacy degree. Um, I do work with people who are pharmacy technicians, but I will say that I get jobs often because I am a pharmacist. So I would say, get your pharmacist degree. I would also say, make sure you work a year at least as a real pharmacist or you spent time as a technician. I actually have done both. I worked as a, a pharmacy technician while I was in school because at that time um, it wasn't required. I'm originally from North Carolina. It wasn't required in North Carolina that you be a licensed technician. It is now, uh, but at then they would hire anybody to be a pharmacy technician. So I'd already worked as a pharmacy technician. And then of course I worked 16 years as a pharmacist. But if you work at least a year as a pharmacist, you're familiar with stuff that people are going to come up and ask you about. You know what a cart fill is. You know what an automated dispensing machine is, whether that's Pixis Omnicell or some other branding there. You may work at a site that has a machine that does your cart fill for you, like SwissLog. But, you know, you need to be familiar with what's going on in a pharmacy so that somebody can walk up to you and say, I have a problem with this or I have a problem at Orderigy. You need enough knowledge of what's going on in a pharmacy to be able to start working on the problems. Does that help you out? Yeah, yeah. I I think that that's a really good advice. I think like another question that I usually get from students, I want to hear your take on it, is that do you need to know programming to work in pharmacy informatics? I will tell you that I, I certainly have worked with people that don't have that knowledge. But I will tell you, I've been able to find more the answers to more problems and to be able to check my build to make sure I did all of it by having that knowledge of how to get reporting out of the system. 
You know, it, it all depends on what system you're going with. If you're going with Cerner, you really need to learn CCL. I mean, there are alternate ways of getting it, getting that stuff out of there, but those would have to be implemented at your site. Like I've I've heard of people implementing crystal reports with with Cerner, and they get their own offsite database. But normally, if you go work at a site, very few people have that put in. So you need to know whatever language it is that the system you're going to work with uses. Like Epic, they've got their own system. I I have a actually have a certification in Willow inpatient that I've never used. I got at a site in California. I was working for Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, and they moved from Cerner to Epic, and they let me take the Epic course. So I'm I'm somewhat familiar with Epic, even though I don't do CCL net. But if you're going to go work for Epic, I would recommend that you get that, take that course or courses to be able to get information out of the system. It really, really helps. Oh, I didn't know you were at Lucille Packard. Were you there when, when Lourdes was there? Or I don't know if she still is. I was. I was. Lourdes, I think it's Nepomuceno. Am I saying that correctly? I just... Uh, yes, I knew Lourdes. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a hard time pronouncing it too. I, I don't know Lourdes, like personally, it was through because when I worked at Ventura, my director um, was from Lucille Packard. So then uh, we had that that connection to like kind of ask about like the Cerner build and everything at Seal Packard while we were building out at Ventura. So, so that was cool. Yeah. I really liked that, that place. It was was a nice place. The people were all great. I was sorry to see them go to Epic, but I really understood why they went. Epic has this thing about being able to get information from one hospital to another. And it's, it's like automatic. It's like Epic everywhere. If you, in fact, the first weekend that we went live there with Epic, there was a, a child who'd moved from a hospital in North Carolina, and we were able to get their data immediately, and it saved them a lot of money by not having to rerun tests. Cerner's getting to that point, but I don't think they're successfully there yet. Yeah, and I, I kind of see that in the sense of, like, I understand why it's difficult for Cerner to do that and why it's not as difficult for Epic. Just more like the standardization and, like, the culture of the company. You know, like, as you know, Cerner is very customizable, but with customizations, makes it harder for different orgs to talk, right? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the deal with, with Epic is you have much less opportunity for all these neat customizations. It's more much more standard. I know the doctors like it. I think it's a lot more friendly for the physicians. But then there's that customization thing. There's always going to be something that you want to do that you can't do it because it is so standard. And Cerner has that ability to, for better or for worse, to customize everything. Yeah, double-edged sword, though, because then there's so many different workflows that can result in, like, the same thing and then just cause issues because everything's just everywhere. Uh, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sure you know that already. I mean, there's a reason why when I learn something new, I always write myself some education on that because I know as much as many places as I go and as many different things that I do, when I come back to that in a couple of years, if I don't have that written down, I'm going to have to relearn it all over again. So I always try to give myself some education on what I did so that I can do it later. Or so I give it to somebody else, like what we were talking about before we got started here uh, about uh, filtering for routes. Yeah, actually, I do the same thing because, I mean, you remember Kevin, my, my co-worker, right? That job. Oh, yeah, he mm-hmm. says hi, by the way. But he, like, when I had left my previous role at the other hospital in Ventura, Kevin had taken over my role. And because I was so paranoid of forgetting things because I'm very forgetful, that I documented everything that it kind of helped for him to get into that role and then, like, have a starting point 
of of why things were done in certain ways. Because there's a lot of like really strange customizations that you can do with Cerner that when you just look at it from the surface level, it's like, why would someone do this? But then there's like a bunch of history <laughs> behind it and, you know, a bunch of like other things that happened that kind of resulted to discussions and trying all these different things. And then, okay, what's the best thing for the workflow for this organization? It's just so crazy that entire process to like make that decision to this weird way of like programming something. So, so like I, I totally like hear you on the making a note for yourself kind of, kind of deal. Yes. You need some education. Yeah. I will tell you something I'm doing that, that's neat for me. I mean, I'm 65 now, and I would like to continue doing this for you know several years to come, but my husband is considerably older than I am. He's 77, and I realize that if I don't step back from this and do, maybe, do it maybe part-time and start traveling with him, that we're not going to get that done. So I'm, I've created a space for myself out on Cerner. They do allow you to do that on the Cerner Wiki. And I'm starting to put some of my stuff out there. When we get through with this, I will add you so you can see what I'm working on. And you can, you know, I appreciate any pointers that you've got, things that you'd like to see out there. But I'm working on kind of doing a, a brain download of some of the stuff that I've done over the years. Oh, okay. And this will just be like any any kind of a Cerner hospital informatics pharmacist can just access it, right? Because it's on the Cerner wiki. Yeah. Uh, most of it's programs like I've got. I think I've. Yeah, I put this at your site. I have a program for getting all the information off each of the tabs and the, the product tool. I have a program for getting most, but not all, of the stuff out of PHADB tools. I have programs to download all the settings, the attributes on PowerForms, that kind of stuff. I'm trying to put out generally helpful things that I've made for myself over the years so that other people can have them. I have a whole bundle of stuff that you've probably seen that's out on UCERN, but since they changed from the, the provider that they were using originally for their 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 stuff to the new the new stuff. I even I have trouble finding my stuff that I put out there. So I'm I'm trying to get all that stuff that I put out there over the years and put it in a one place. And hopefully after I'm gone, I will leave this up so that people can continue to access it all in one place. Yeah, thank you so much for doing that. And I guess to the listeners, if any of you are working for a certain organization, just so that you know how useful Pam's work is, I've used Pam's, I think it was the order sentence query or order sentence audit that you wrote like many years ago, I think it was like at least 2014. And I've been using that so yeah. often. And since then, until now, I made some edits for it for myself. But like your your program from was a very, very good starting point for it. Absolutely. Let me give you some history on that just for anybody who might be interested. I was asked at a site to, they were changing their therapeutic interchange for the H2 antagonist from cimetidine to famotidine. And so I had to go in and find all the places that, that lived. It lives in power plans, it lives in the order sentence tool, it lives in order folders, it lives in care set. And so I had to find all the places that it lived and fix all that. So that's that was the genesis for that particular report. And one thing I really appreciated too for that report was when I was barely starting with Cerner, that was actually one of the first CCO programs I've seen. And your your program had so many like comments in there that that was able to describe what was going on. And I kind of used it also as a way to teach myself how CCL worked by going through that and just seeing like doing this and that changing this and that like to see what happens. So it was also very like 
a very good exercise for me to use that as a way to like learn and understand all different commands in CCL. So I can officially now tell you, thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for letting me know that. I do, because I'm a consultant, I travel from, from site to site and I you know, leave reports behind me. I always try to comment those reports so that the next person who has to maintain it or make a change to it has some idea of what I was doing when I wrote that report. I certainly have had the opportunity to maintain and change other reports. And it, if you don't have comments on them, it just makes it a whole lot harder to understand what went on in that report. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's why when I saw your report and I saw the other ones after that, I'm like, ah, oh, I was spoiled with the first report I saw. So so that was a really... And I, when I try to write reports too, I try to do it the same way. Like I try to put as many comments as I can so that somebody looking at it will understand too. So that's, I, I think that should always be the best practice. So yeah. yeah. So, so I wanted to get back to like, you know, if people were interested in reaching out to you, right? And then they had some maybe specific questions for you, or, you know, they just wanted to ask a little bit more about your career. What's the best way that they can reach out to you at? Email is the best way. pmackey at hpgresources.com. That's my business address for the company. And like I said, I, continue, I want to continue working with them for a while to come. Their HPG's tagline that stands for, oh gosh, I always call it HPG and I don't always remember. <laughs> it's a healthcare resources group or something like that. It, they just go by HPG and that's where you find them out on the web is hpgresources.com. Awesome. I, I, I've gotten there and I, they hire to retire. That's their tagline. So the people they hire tend to be really good at what they do. I mean, there's there's no one on board there that's only been do, doing Cerner for six months. Normally, they only hire people who've done Cerner for years. And so it's always good to be able to ask questions. And if I put it out on the company website, you, know, you get answers back. And they're from people who know what they're talking about. They're not just guessing. Yeah, what I noticed too is that many of the HP, so, so you know, at, at the place I work at, we use a lot of HPG consultants. And many of the consultants like, and, you know, I've also interviewed many of them because we were looking for that oncology resources person, like before we landed with you. And every single person that I've kind of reviewed or like spoken to has had a ton of experience. Like, like I'm just like extremely impressed with the amount of experience every consultant from HPG that we've experienced, had experience with has. It's just amazing that you guys have such a good uh, team of people that, that have a lot of experience. Yeah, and I've, I've- you know, they talk at the meetings about how many people they interview and how many people they hire. They interview lots of people. They don't hire very many. Oh, okay. And I did ask the question to our salesperson once. I said, you know, this was a few years ago because I've been working with them for seven years now. I said, how long are you going to let me keep working? She said, well, as long as you don't exhibit any signs of Alzheimer's or dementia. She said, you can work as long as you want to and as long as we can find places for you to go. I mean, that it's also great when they value your, your contributions, too. And I will say we've had a couple of people that retired and they got bored of retirement, so they came back and they're working <laughs> wow. again. We have a lot of gray hair in the company. Not everybody has gray hair, but there are a lot of us with gray hair, and that's the gray hair of experience. Yeah, I think the last person before you that worked on our oncology team was Walter Hopgood. He was on the podcast also like a while ago, and his background was a pharmacy technician, and I, I was so extremely impressed with how much, like, knowledge he had to work on our, our oncology EHR because he's not a pharmacist 
but he's had experience as a pharmacy technician. And it felt like it was still almost working like with a pharmacist in that in that like level, you know? So it, it's just very impressive to me. Yeah, we have a, a couple of people who are pharmacy technicians. Michael Ludwig is a, a pharmacy technician, but he's been with Cerner for, I don't know, doing with HPG like 20 years. So, and it, actually I'm working with him at the site where I'm currently at. So you don't necessarily have to be a pharmacist, but it certainly helps. I do have... I said jobs where they require having a pharmacist on the job. Yeah, yeah. So I'm at that part. Yeah. And and I guess one last question. Sorry, I'm just like thinking more questions here. But one last question is about, you know, you, you've been in this field for quite a long time now. And, you know, the field's constantly changing and you've seen all the changes throughout your years. And I guess like, you know, with this whole like, next generation of technology and, you know, AI being more involved with, with healthcare. Like, where do you kind of see the role of an informatics pharmacist going? It's wide open. I mean, AI can do a lot, but I think you still need that human touch. They haven't quite got AI to the point where it can make some of the fine decisions that a human being has to make. So I think it'll be quite a while before we're, we're that AI driven. But all I can say is if you're going to get into this field, be prepared for change. And be open to learning new stuff. If you if you only want to do one thing and not learn anything else, this is not the field to be in. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love the whole aspect of constantly learning. It just feels like like ne- nothing's ever the same. Everything's a different day and it's very exciting. So that's what this field is like. So that was a great summary that you, you provided. But yeah, I, I don't think I have anything else from my end. Thank you so much. I know you're so busy. So thank you so much for taking some time to be on the podcast today. <laughs> Right. If you like our show, please share with your friends, or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Slack group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there, and I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy and me and remember technology is the tool patient care is the goal